Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rablick. Thank you so much for joining me for this particular podcast. Over the, over the past several months, since October the 7th, we've been focused on the Middle East and the, the events surrounding the Israel-Gaza conflict between the, the, the administration of the State of Israel as well as um, Hamas. Now, there are a range of issues of a policy nature that emerge as a result of this. And uh, without further ado, I want to talk to uh, my guest today, the Supine Centre's uh, Kenneth Katzman, who's an, ex- a, an acknowledged ex- expert in the area of Middle Eastern politics. He's looked at the area for many, many decades in order to examine some of the implications, both for the Middle East and for the globe. Ken, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Now, if we uh, begin with the, the, the basic proposition that we've got a prop we've got a, a a fairly tense situation right now um and that's understanding it uh the events of october 7th created a major fissure and we are where we are today how would you describe it given your background and your understanding of, of the middle east right now what's the state of play well tom it's a tense time it's uh obviously uh, been psychologically traumatic uh, for a large part of the region. It stirred up a lot of passions in the region, but uh, it's possible that uh, we might get to a a positive outcome. Uh, I believe Hamas has basically been defeated. If it has not been defeated, it will be defeated. It's well on the way to defeat, which will remove, I think, a... uh, a a, a component of the region that's been quite adverse to uh, basically hindered any peace process whatsoever. Uh, There was a peace process in the uh, late 80s, uh, 1990s, early 90s, even continuing to 2000, 2001, 2003, and then it really dissolved. A lot of that was because of Hamas and uh, armed rejectionists, Palestinians. If those can be defeated, which I will think they will be, I think we can get to a better place, a more stable Middle East. There's pillars to build on. We've had Israel and several of the Arab states, the Gulf states, others, Morocco, forge open ties to Israel. We've had even the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia considering ties to Israel, official ties to Israel. So there's a lot to build on if we can get through this period. One of the challenges that people have if they haven't been looking at the Middle East um, as intensely as you have over the years, and I think if I remember rightly, the last time we spoke... You had the you've been looking at the, the the region for at least forty, if not fifty years, right? Thirty five years or so, yeah, forty years, yeah. So if we take if if we take that all of the IP, the intellectual property, sitting between your ears, what have been the key themes 
that have predominated over those decades. If somebody, if you were to put, if you were to put the key themes on a on one of those little post-it notes or on the back of an envelope, what are the key things people need to remember about this region right now? Well, it's a region that uh, basically for the 40 years I've been in the business uh, has never been stable, never been fully stable. It is probably has more conflict now than at any time. You have internal conflict in Yemen. You have internal conflict in Syria. You have some degree of internal conflict in Iraq. Uh, you have failed states. Libya is a failed state. Iraq is emerging, not necessarily a failed state, but uh, not not exactly. Uh, <clears throat> still riven by fishes. Syria is a failed state. Yemen is a failed state. Now we have the Israeli-Palestinian conflict erupting. In the 40 years, you know, I started my career in government, particularly right after the Islamic Revolution in Iran. The U.S. has never figured out a successful strategy with the Islamic Republic of Iran. The U.S. has been, in my opinion, too hesitant to confront the Islamic Republic of Iran for one reason or the other. Uh, various options to confront Iran have always been considered and then dismissed for various reasons. Until we confront Iran and set back Iran's strategy, Iran's interests, the region is uh, not going to be capable of being fully stabilized. How critical to understanding the region is the notion of um, state-sponsored militias or state-sponsored terror groups? Militias are all over the region, um, and that's been a problem. You have so many failed states in the region that that's when militias flourish, when there's no legitimate monopoly of armed force by a government, that's when you have militias forming. We have Lebanon, for example, where the Lebanese government is too weak to disarm Hezbollah. <clears throat> and the United States has never taken on Hezbollah. The United States has let, it, let Hezbollah fester as a state within a state. And, uh, you know, this, this is one of the problems. because. There's been, I think, you know, in the United States, a certain sense of wanting to limit number of U.S. casualties, not wanting to get embroiled. There's been a legacy of the Vietnam conflict. There's been a legacy of other conflicts. And uh, it's been, it's been, the United States has not really uh, ever gotten back to the status it had, you know, let's say during World War II as the ultimate guarantor of liberty, freedom, human rights, democracy. And that's because the U.S. has become too unwilling to take casualties, unwilling to confront some of these quote-unquote bad guys in the region. And uh, that's been a source of the problem, in my view. If we Go back to Afghanistan briefly in the 1980s, where some of the groups that um, people have known about, mm-hmm. uh, in particular Al Qaeda, arose. And um, well, you 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 ra- can I 
you're raising the Al Qaeda example makes makes my point. Yeah, we had numerous opportunities before 9/11 to confront Al Qaeda. We knew where Bin Laden was. We knew he was in Afghanistan. President Clinton lobbed a few missiles at him, which missed. We had the opportunity to defeat Al Qaeda before 9/11, and we didn't do it because, again, this hesitancy to take casualties to get involved, and it's been disastrous in my view. Sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> and that's all right. No, 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 no. You, 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 you make a valid point, but then there's uh, the the source of hesitancy, which, in part, um, the the founder of your firm. Um, had to grapple with when he was at the FBI. Sure. sure. Um, where you, you've got the, the tension between the law enforcers versus the intelligence gatherers, who's at various points in time, I think we're seeing some of that in Israel, have been waiting to get more intelligence before they act or before things shut down, as opposed to deal with the problem that is apparent. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there is that, uh, there is that, always that tension. I mean, you know, you mentioned uh, Ali Sufan. You know, there was tension in in Yemen. You know, to investigate the coal bombing, the U.S. law enforcement authorities wanted to do a vigorous investigation. The State Department, for its reasons, did not want a thorough investigation, and it caused obviously a lot of tension because the State Department is there. They're based there, and they want to maintain their contacts and their assets and things. But uh, I'm talking about really the hesitancy to use uh, the U.S. armed forces in a way that uh, I think can be productive. I do think in some cases, the use of U.S. military force can make a difference. For example, Assad was on the ropes in 2011-2012. He was losing. There were, Senator McCain wanted to set up a no-fly zone over Syria. Mr. Obama dismissed that. Others had other ideas to intervene. If we had taken out Assad when he was teetering on the brink of defeat and taken him out, Iran wouldn't have a route to supply Hezbollah. There would not be these Iran-backed militias in Syria right now. I don't think ISIS would be this huge, unmanageable threat had, had Assad fallen. So I disagree with those who take that position. We would have had a whole new strategic architecture in the region if Mr. Obama had just used a little bit of force to take out Assad in 2012. And there would have been a decade of uh, different politics in at least that part of the Middle East. Um, <laughs> if we... Look more broadly in the time we have left um, at the overall policy challenges for the world here. Um, One of them is uh, clearly people understanding why Israel is doing what it's doing, but there's also, you know, how how the world looks at this. looks at the current situation. Uh, how would you break it down 
in terms of factors for people to consider who have no background in in understanding the region but are concerned about yeah. what is happening because you can be emotionally engaged but know nothing about the, the decades-long conflicts and tensions <laughs> that have existed in, in, in that part of the world. The way I look at it is Hamas basically fractured the... <clears throat> It took Arafat a few decades to get a Palestinian consensus to have move away from armed struggle and have negotiations with Israel. Yep. Those were making progress. Hamas overturned that paradigm by going back to armed struggle, fracturing the Palestinian movement. <clears throat> the people of Gaza voted for Hamas in 2006, even though Hamas already had an 18-year record of violence and advocating terrorism and violence. They still voted for them. So my view is if you're voting for a faction that's openly advocating violence and terror attacks, don't be surprised when that brings war to your doorstep. Now, I feel sorry for the violence that's occurred. I feel sorry for the deaths. It's terrible. But I don't think anybody in Gaza should be surprised that this has happened. Now, so the Palestinian movement is fractured. There were efforts by the Arab states to get Hamas to change its charter, to move away from armed violence, come into a consensus for negotiations. It didn't do it. Qatar tried to encourage that. Egypt tried to encourage that. They failed. There were times that it looked like they might succeed, but they did not. And Hamas persisted in its in insistence on violent resistance allied with Iran and other rejectionist factions. So that's the framework I see. So we need a new framework where all the Palestinians are back on board with the Arafat consensus to go with negotiations and reject violence. And then we can maybe start to see diplomatic progress to resolve the conflict. We've spoken about the Palestinian side, the fracture that occurred when Hamas <clears throat> got a foothold in Gaza. Um, what needs to happen within the state of Israel as well? Because that's another part of the equation, isn't it? Well, my view is, you know, once once we have a unified Palestinian position in favor of negotiations and negotiated settlements of the conflict, at that point, the United States can exert pressure, either on Netanyahu or make it clear to the Israeli public that it's going to be very difficult for the United States to maintain <clears throat> its largely, you know, very much gracious position, let's say, unless the Israeli apparatus, the Israeli state, reciprocates. Okay, so if the Palestinians are unified in favor of negotiations, then the United States can exert pressure on the Israeli side to say, you too need to negotiate, and then maybe we can get a solution. 
I'm sitting here in Australia at the moment. You're in the US. Um, where do countries like Australia, in your view, fit in the in the broader picture? Australia is a basically unconditional ally of the United States. Uh, <clears throat> Australia fought side by side in World War II. Obviously, very close allies. We're now allied in countering China, other areas. But mainly, you know, Australia is far away from the Middle East. It has not had that much influence in the Middle East. So certainly I think the what's expected of Australia is diplomatic support, perhaps economic aid to any agreement for to help implement any economic agreements that financial commitments that result from any negotiated settlement. I think that's where Australia plays a role. I've been talking to Kenneth Katzman, uh, an expert in matters Middle East-related, security-related, uh, from the Safan Centre in the United States. And we've spoken about the conflict in Gaza and Israel and possible solutions from a policy and, and a practical standpoint. Kenneth, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Tom. Anytime, Tom.